and welcome to the To Mom podcast. My name is Valerie Propsfeld. Please join me as we encourage mothers to live their verb while also practicing self-grace. The goal of this podcast is to promote love as an action and live life more authentically. Just think about it. In five generations from now, you will have approximately 30 descendants and the number keeps getting larger and larger. We have more power as moms than we realize. Motherhood, in my opinion, is the most important job in the world. Hi moms, thanks again for tuning in. I have another great guest for us today. But first, the mission of To Mom Is To Love is to support, encourage, and empower each other as imperfect moms to love as a verb. Join us and subscribe, share, and follow. Welcome to our community. My guest today is Dwight Hurst. Dwight is a psychotherapist, podcast producer, and writer. He has worked in the mental health field since 1999, in hospitals, residential programs, as well as outpatient clinics. Dwight works from the perspective that all problems have solutions and collaborates with his patients to solve them together. His practice, Innovate Mental Health Solutions, specializes in a variety of mental health conditions. Dwight describes this podcast, The Broken Brain, as a fun and informative podcast about psychology, mental health, treatment, research, culture, and all things brainy. It is still going strong after almost a decade of running. Welcome, Dwight. I'm thrilled to have you on the show with us today. Hey, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It was such a great time the other day when we were talking and recording uh, for for my uh, show, and I was like, oh, this is just going to... The turnaround time of us getting together again was was so brief that I was like, it's going to just be even more exciting. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we recorded our episode on the broken brain. I was a guest on Dwight's show and had such a great time. So if you haven't listened to that, be sure to tune in. So Dwight, like you are just such an interesting person to talk to. I really enjoy like just chatting with you about a variety of subjects. Um, But can you tell our listeners about yourself and kind of like your background and how you got started in the podcast world and, and what you do as a healthcare professional? Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny. I kind of got into the field of psychology uh, accidentally at first. Uh, it, it was more motivated by a fear of tedium or boredom than anything else, I guess. You know, as, and as of yet, at that point in my life, I was not diagnosed. But being a person with uh, both bipolar disorder and with uh, AD, a good healthy dose of ADHD stuff as well, there, um, I've always had a low boredom tolerance. And so I actually was approaching college with a lot of trepidation. I just didn't picture myself in any particular job. And I really liked a psychology class. And that was basically it. I liked the psychology class. And then somehow I I found out about an opening at an inpatient uh, mental health facility that was kind of kind of in a rural area, pretty close to where I lived. And uh, shout out to Phil Haven Behavioral Healthcare if they're still out yeah. there in the woods of Pennsylvania, um, and and it's, yeah, a very interesting hospital that was set up by actually established by uh, Mennonite families in mm. uh, rural, this, this kind of rural Lancaster County, Pennsylvania area. For anyone out there, it's where I you know I I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and so I just kind of started working as like a psychiatric technician or a psych aide or whatever. Most most mental health hospitals or or programs have a name for that, which is just here's a here's a person who says, it's time for dinner, or whatever. And then that and then you get trained as you go into doing more kind of interventions and you might run a goals group or something. And anyway, just just not, not to tell the whole life story of all that, but but that kind of pulled me right in. So most of my adult uh careering has been in the mental health facility, I always say, you know, I work with tons of clients that have all kinds of different jobs, but there's only a handful of them that I probably understand because I've always worked. <laughs> mm. I, I did a few years in education and that was in a, and, and that was the most professional outside of, of treatment. So I mostly have been in uh, mental health stuff for my whole adult career, but, um, That's the awesome. podcasting and the podcasting thing, because I, Started doing that. My boss at the time where I worked, and as I was a counselor at a, uh, it was a technical 
college. And, and I was the one who also did a lot of liaison with people who had any kind of mental health needs, or we worked mm. with the local job corps and some of the alternative high schools and things, you know, and I was kind of the liaison because I'd worked with troubled youth or youth corrections. And, but I had mm -hmm. a boss who was kind of a funny guy. And one day we were talking about this, this kind of podcasting, what's that, you know, and turns out he had a podcast. <laughs> it, it, I don't even know if it's still available. It was called shortcomings and his, his last name was Cummings. So that was okay. You know, right away. I was like, my sense of humor. And so this guy, Kevin, Kevin Cummings, shout out to Kevin Cummings out there. I'm sure you're out there somewhere in podcast awesome. land. He, <laughs> um, great, great guy, really nice boss uh, to work for a good guy in all sorts of ways. But what he did is he wrote little humorous essays and then he just kind of read them like Garrison Keillor style uh, and, and put this out there. And so I started making his podcast a regularly downloaded and burned onto physical media. <laughs> practice mm -hmm. and yeah. I at the time i was like this would be kind of fun yeah and and listening to the different kinds um i have i, I don't always mention this on air but i and I, I i've never ever mentioned the name of the person i don't even know if i remember the name but i do remember the name of the show but i still won't say it because this isn't very flattering i heard a podcaster who i had been listening to there weren't many mental health themed shows back then uh and he was on a different podcast being interviewed, very niche. It was about counselors who have entrepreneurial aspirations. So very, very niche. Um, and as, as I was listening to this interview, here's this guy who I kind of admired. His show was, you know, one that I listened to and it was about social work and mental health. And, and on there, the guy said, Hey, so all those out there, you know, I think teachers, educators, social workers, counselors, you know, they, they should be doing this, right? They should be getting into this medium. Think of all the things they could do with podcasting. And then the guy said, well, probably not. Mm. You know, you should really question whether or not you think you have something important to say before you would start a podcast. Anybody out there, you really probably shouldn't start a podcast. Oh, wow. And yeah. I was like, you know what? <laughs> Screw that guy. You know, that, that was, that's not, <laughs> I, I think I said something like that out loud. Um, something <laughs> along those lines. And, and it actually motivated me <laughs> to say, you know what? I don't believe that I'm not, I've never been a fan of gatekeeping of any kind. Um, yeah. and I was like, you know what? I think I could have a little, I may bring some of my personality to this. And, and what it really boiled down to is people that I know who work with mental health are usually the most interesting people. Uh, they're fun people. They have insights into, to lots of different things. At least the people I gravitated. Uh, towards, uh, not to mm -hmm. minimize any issues in our industry, I guess, but I liked that idea of saying like, what is a therapeutic or mental health perspective? And then I just kind of one day just sort of launched into it, you know, and, and yeah. I, I'd, I'd been kind of reading up how to do it and finally pulled the trigger on it. And, uh, just, it's been a real, and it's been evolving ever since you kind of get your legs and say, here's what I want to do more of. Here's what I'm going to do less of. And it's gone through. Yeah, just just kind of that, but it's a lot of it's a lot of fun, and and the best thing is I get to meet lots of cool people while I'm doing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's one of the things I really enjoy about it. Amazing that you do a mental health podcast because I think that you know society is becoming more uh, aware of mental health and more accepting of mental health, but I feel like we still have a yeah. long way to go. I just know people in the past, um, like growing up, would say, oh, you need to see a shrink or, you know, kind of like saying it in like this um, yeah. degrading kind of way. And I just I, I'm so passionate for it as I as I've like learned and more about the brain and about, I don't know, just growing older of life. Everyone, I feel like, needs mental health, um, like in some way, mental health checks, or even just talking to someone like it's so important. Our brains are so complex. Why not? Like we see a healthcare provider for physical exams. We see a dentist for our teeth, an eye doctor for our eyes. Why not something for our minds? It, it would be really interesting if we were to really treat it uh, as a part of our medical life. I, even in the, in my field, I still hear people use 
uh, uh, phrases like, oh, is this physical health or is this more mental health? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've really pushed it. I, I find like I still have that language programmed into me, too. But I've tried very hard to always point out to people, no, actually, those are the same. Mental health is one subset of your physical health. Like you wouldn't really say because the brain is contained within the body. I mean, that's one thing I'm, you know, I'm not like a neurologist or anything, but that is something I'm aware of. And it's, it's funny for us to say, we would not say, oh, is that a physical problem or is it a cardiovascular problem? Mm -hmm. Right. We would never say, is that a physical problem or is it a heart problem? Yeah. Right. Um, And so I think that that's, you know, whether we call it psychological health or, or, emotional health, or we can call, I mean, obviously mental health, but to say it's still within the same umbrella of health. What is our health management as a whole, as a person? And if we really believed and practiced and talked like that were true, um, and I think to your point, it is getting better. I see, you know, the generations get better at it, but there's still, there's still just this hang up of like, um, yeah, of of that feeling of where, how do we categorize this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Was you know fifteen to twenty, uh, but then but then there's that it really picked up and accelerated uh, within the last fifteen years or so. We got like I have to check myself by the way when I say that I'm at that age now where I realize that I still consider like the '80s like within the last twenty years. Oh yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh yeah, I mean it's what what it's a while ago, but it's not like a million years. Ago. Oh wait, no, it is a million. Years ago. <laughs> Um, That's what so, my kids say. <laughs> <laughs> so the the uh, functional MRIs or fMRIs, though, within you know, have been. It's within the last twenty years that that kind of even became a big thing, and then really within the last, uh, you know, it it exponentially has taken off the ability to even look at what parts of the brain do what, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, I bust out a little little history on that, you know, like. For those who've taken an introductory psych course at some point, take like Phineas Gage, if anybody knows who the hell that is. Yeah. He is a guy who had a railroad tie in the, um, I don't recall the year. It was 1848. Wow. Yeah, my listeners may have, I have a, I don't know, one of my episodes, I had briefly said something about him, but I believe it was 1848. I, I feel like I talk about it all the time and I can't remember that. That's, I'm, I'm impressed with that. Oh, gosh. I remember yeah. dates. I don't know what it is. It, it probably a mental health thing of I remember every birth date and date. So I like that's it. That's a, odd well, hey, that's a trait about me. <laughs> you know, I, well, and it's the same thing, right? I, I have a, a recurring guest slash co-host who comes on a lot, Sharon Blady. Uh, she comes on whenever we chat about superhero stories and comics and Marvel movies, but she's a mental health advocate. She was a health, uh, health minister in, in Manitoba, uh, Canada for, for a while as well. And so she's real knowledgeable. She always calls the, our own mental health superpowers though. Oh, she's like, we focus on the weaknesses, but we don't like, so that's a superpower right oh, there. There you go. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. remember the dates and things. Yeah. I like but, that wording. <laughs> <laughs> you think about though, from 1848, right. Until the, early 2000s or so, right? Uh, there's been a lot of study on brains, but but Phineas Gage's uh, a remarkable experience, horrible, sad experience, uh, was that uh, he survived after the accident where this railroad tri- tie went through the frontal uh, part of his brain. And not, very, not that long, but he experienced personality changes and all kinds of things. And of course, we now know the frontal uh, cortex in the frontal lobe of the brain has a lot to do with our own executive functioning and emotional regulation and that kind of thing. Uh, impulse control, all that was damaged. And that was one of the first times doctors were able to say, oh, parts of the brain do different stuff. And it's not just one thing. It's made up of a bunch of, of parts. And now you get to where it's like, boy, you know, I mean, well over, what, 150 years or so, then it started to take off to say, we can actually watch what parts light up at different times better than we could before, yeah. right? And now, though, we're still discovering all kinds of things, and, and people may not realize, like, even the psychiatric medications that we take, most of those, we only have theories about why they work. They've, just within the last couple of years, I think, is when I first started seeing them talk about, there's some indication that maybe some of the uh, serotonin-based, like SSRI-based antidepressants, that they don't work for the reason that they theorize that they work. So the whole way they've been targeting, mm. the whole parts of the brain they've been targeting, 
that may not be why they work. Now, they still work, and somewhere around 70-ish percent of the population has a pretty good result from them. And within the remaining 30%, they often have some uh, results from them. So they still work pretty well statistically, but we're like, oh, that reason why, that the whole thing that we're putting research into how to make it molecularly do this, I don't, we don't think that's why that mm. it's working. So we don't really know some of those things. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And we're always learning. I mean, I think that that's what's so fascinating. It truly is like... Um, a frontier, like a, a frontier of what else can, what we're learning stuff all the time. And I love that Phineas Gage story because I, I think that, you know, it absolutely like is such um, a tragic event, but also at the same time, um, I like um, later on what they, uh, some, uh, I think it was NPR, there was an article I had read about where later on he, um, was in Chile and worked as a stagecoach driver, which um, not as many people like talk about that aspect of it, where oh, it's like, okay, yeah, there must have been some type of, you know, regrowth of something. I mean, I don't know all, you know, obviously that's just like a hypothesis, but to be able to drive a stagecoach, you know, like um, would require some type of brain activity that, you know, he, I know he had, um, didn't, uh, he, I think, eventually passed away like a seizure or something, something, something related to the injury. Seizure. I, I think infection might have been. Yeah. I, I read somewhere yeah. that that might be part of it, but yeah. Yeah. So like a tragic thing, but also at the same time, um, it's interesting that, you know, there's that neuroplasticity that we, even when like a, a railroad iron goes into your brain, the brain still has some type of capacity to regrow. And I think that's just right? so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Like we talk about it from a lot of, you know, uh, pediatrics or children and how like in school, the growth mindset and all of that. But with a, adults, too, there is there is so much neuroplasticity and so much learning and so much growing. And the most, so much of that conventional wisdom, you know, that we used to uh, we used to have really revolved around that idea that it, that was absolutely a no go, that the brain yeah. was like hard fixed, whatever. And it's certainly there's periods of time where it experiences that rapid growth, but uh, even those are longer than we think when they talk about adolescence lasting till we're 24, mm. as far as the developmental stage of, of the brain still going through this rapid growth yeah. kind of thing. Uh, but that's, that used to be like, oh yeah, somewhere in teenagerhood. That's how it was taught when I, I mean, when wow. I started taking psychology classes, it was just like, because for those who don't, you know, what I, I, listeners of this show are probably well aware, right? From like age two to four or five, you know, terrible twos is is because the brain is like super accelerated trying to grow and, and learn. And then there's a much longer period in adolescence. But it was always kind of thought like, yeah, you hit 17, 18. That's why, you know, that, that then they started making, the, you know, ideas based off of like, well, you probably shouldn't drink till you're like 21 or something because the brain's still in formation and you, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But then that was assumed that it was like kind of like now it's done. Now it just starts to die slowly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, which, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a great chipper thought. We're all <laughs> yeah. just dying slowly, I guess, you know, I guess slowly is better than quickly, though. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's the only two options. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I mean, that really wasn't all that long ago. I mean, like we joke about like, you know, our kids saying the 80s were so long ago and all that, but it, but it wasn't that long. And the fact that we have changed so much of how we, um, you know, teach classes and educate people, it just, it's always evolving. And I think that's what's so great about this field. And um, now, Dwight, can you um, talk with our listeners a bit? I know a lot of our listeners are moms, and I know you're a dad. Um, is there anything that you want to touch base on and some, like, common things that, um, you know, new parents or parents of school age or teenagers, um, you know, experience? I know a lot of times we talk about mom guilt and anxiety, but I wanted to, you know, give you um, some room to talk about um, anything about those type of things. Yeah. It's it's such a huge part of life. It, it, it's almost amazing how normal it is. If we want to talk about it statistically, you know, a lot of people go through parenting, right? I mean, that's not a controversial statement. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have children and it, but it's so challenging and such a huge developmental thing 
for it to be something that 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 many 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 people are going to go through. I I always think that's interesting, and it's there. There's a lot of things that go into the kind of stress that you're talking about. I, I think one of the main things that we learn about in general with mental health is the power of expectation. When we project an expectation onto something, particularly if it's something that's been trained deep, deep into us, we bring a certain level of like, well, this is how it should be. Particularly when it's so low that it's, it's like on the assumption level. Yeah. I assume that parents do this. I, you know, I just, that's what I either have been taught or my experience has been, or maybe that's what my experience wasn't, but I thought it should have been. Um, so all of those things, I think that one of the healthiest things we can do is to start to question and figure out like, what are my assumptions? What is it that I think is true and what do I expect? Mm. Um, and sometimes the best way to do that is when we notice adverse feelings. If I'm like, oh, I'm messing up, you know, it's not doing, you know, and, and I start to really shame myself. That's a good way. That's a good time to sit and go, okay, what am I, what am I kind of, uh, what do I expect of myself here? You know, or what do others expect of me and, and how much of that is healthy? Um, because I don't know, life's a great teacher. Uh, life experience is a great teacher. Uh, as long as you accept the fact that you got to spot check their work. If you have a teacher that comes and tells you to, uh, that, you know, one plus one is two. And then the next day they say, actually one plus one is five. That's life. That's how life teaches us. Right. Mm. So you have to learn to say, okay, I learned this from life, but maybe it's, Yes, right. I need to question it. Yeah. Um, so, I, to me, expectation is kind of like premeditated shame in a way, right? We have to be careful about what do we think that we're to do because sometimes that's where we get lost in something that isn't even as important as something that it stops us from doing. That was a confusing sentence. I mean, kind of. Uh, let me say it this way: <laughs> it's it's like if you say to yourself. A good parent gets the kids homework done, dinner on the table, and everybody in bed by a certain time. That's a good parent in my definition of a good parent. Mm -hmm. um, and so, therefore, let's say that that translates into, um, for various, whatever various reasons, that uh, translates into kind of a yelling, screaming, okay, get your thumb to, what do you mean you didn't do your stuff yet? Oh, okay, well, you know what? You sit there and eat. Oh, wait, I got to get you to bed. Well, I'm going to, oh, you know what? I'm going to, and all of a sudden, you know, we're kind of fighting through every night and, and not getting to bed quite on time and then feeling like we failed because we're getting to bed 20 minutes later. But the real, the real problem is, is that we spent the whole evening, everybody being at a high stress, emotionally dysregulated in the pursuit of this maybe somewhat arbitrary, somewhat arbitrary goal, mm. right? And it's like, and now I'm not doing the thing that maybe I really wanted to do, which is enjoy my kids and have them enjoy me and, and having, you know, good memories and things that are actually maybe way more important to, to the definite, whatever I think of as being a parent. Um, but I'm not doing that mm. in the pursuit of this thing that I think I should be doing instead. Did that make, did that yeah. hang together at yeah. all? Does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, I remember realizing a long time ago, and this is, I'll be honest, it's a lesson that I have to keep learning and, and trying to actually internalize into my actions, you know, because I think it's easy to do. But I realized uh, that I was stressing about getting something done. I think maybe it was dishes or something, you know, and um, over and over and over. And at the same time, I'd had this priority of saying, we need to make sure we're doing something fun each night, like maybe just playing a board game or uh, eventually as they get a little older, playing Mario Kart. That's actually a big one. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> anyone who's watched the videos of my podcast sees I have a big old uh, Mario Kart uh, picture on my wall. Uh, it's, a, it's a Mario <laughs> Kart based art. There's a lot of nerd art up on the walls in my office. That's uh, great. That people get to see. But but to say like, oh, how many nights has it been that we haven't done that because in the pursuit of getting, you know, air quotes, important stuff done. Mm. Right. And then it's like, oh, well, we're out of time now. And now to be, you know, it would be irresponsible to not go to bed at this point. And so, uh, you know, and, and it's just realizing that it's like, oh, that is that expectation is ruling my actions in such a way that it's easy for a day at a time to go by. And all of a sudden it's been years since we've busted out a board game in the evening just for fun or something, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. And I think, I think people get that, especially if you've been parenting for a while. It, and uh, you know, this is weird maybe because it feeds into it though too, which is the expectation also of, 
of what I'm just saying. What I just said created an expectation, right? And so the flexibility of being able to accept the reality that we're going through and saying like, oh, if that happened, do I then spiral into shame for a new reason? Or do I say, <laughs> oh, no, that's just something, that's something I'm learning. And, and this whole thing is like a, I don't know, work in progress. And I hate to be that, you know, here's that therapist just banging the self-acceptance drum. Uh, but, but that's a, such a huge thing yeah. that we carry forward is that we are trained to, uh, you know, to reject ourselves for having a subpar, air quotes again, uh, performance of some kind, you know? Mm. Um, it's very, very interesting the power that that has of how we interpret interpret ourselves and the way we talk to ourselves about it. Yeah, absolutely. I sometimes think my mind is like a, a game of like that whack-a-mole, you know, like sometimes like if I, <laughs> I have one thought and then I'm like, okay, and then another thought and then just kind of embracing the whole game of like, well, it's not going to be perfect and just kind of, <laughs> you know, moving no, on. No, I, I really think so too. I, I think having an awareness of ourselves, if you wanted to try to boil down psychotherapy, um, and I love how you put it too, that having some kind of proactive mental health appreciation is so lacking in, in our, in our world. But if you were to boil it down and say one sentence of what is therapy, it's getting to know yourself better. That's my hmm. theory anyway. Uh, yeah. And getting to know that because a lot of us have, um, and, and, and another thing that's evolving, uh, by the way, in, in the world of therapy is an appreciation of uh, of the the role of trauma, right? And being aware that a lot of us have one form or another of trauma that we've gone through. And I'll say this, especially if you have like a mental health diagnosis or if you've had addiction uh, uh, struggles or things like that, you know, chances are we find that that's almost, uh, I don't know, it's not, I, I guess you, you can't say anything happens always, but man, it sure seems that those things correlate with a lot of incidents of trauma mm. in our lives, either chicken or the egg, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Was I, you know, am I abused because I'm more vulnerable because I have a mental health issue? Um, did I develop my mental health issue through trauma? You know, some of both probably most times. Mm. Um, and so being aware of that helps us, I think, to be able to say, you know, where do I dysregulate? Where do I have a hard time to where my stuff is projecting into the relationships I have as well, particularly, particularly with our kids. You think about like our kids are, it's one of the only relationships where we go through any period of time where we have like kind of ultimate power <laughs> over someone. Yeah. Yeah. Cause even if you're a supervisor at work, you would never, and I hate to say it this way, but you know, we would never treat a professional subordinate. Most of us would never treat a professional subordinate the way that we do on our worst day of parenting when we're super mad at the kid. <laughs> mm. Mm. It's not a very flattering realization. Sometimes to be like, Oh, when I have complete control, man, I can be kind of a uh, once in a while, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's, mm -hmm. you know, and, and trying to understand that about our own health then makes them have a better experience. I think. Yeah. I love how you put that. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk with us? Um, I, I just started learning about EMDR and um, is that kind of associated with trauma? Yeah. You know, it's something I've been learning a lot more about. It's been around in the field and I've, you know, uh, I've had trainings here and there over time that were mostly kind of on the job from people who were those experts that train you in a clinic or wherever you work and stuff. And, but then within, uh, it was within the last couple of years, you can track it a little bit. Uh, I, I did some episodes about it. I actually, actually got, got, a, a clinician who does EMDR training. She, she kind of, kind of sponsored the show for a, a better part of a year. Or so basically what that meant was, though, that I was sharing some information about their trainings and, and the reimbursement I got in full uh, transparency was it was not monetary. It was I got to go to the trainings, mm. <laughs> which they could be a little cost. And so that was a great experience to actually have a really expert uh, training to go through, uh, you know, myself, especially as someone who's like private practice. You know, I'm not working at some agency that's like, oh, we'll pay for 50% of your training or something, you know, and so it was really nice to have that opportunity. I've also been really fortunate to have some good friends uh, who have done that. There's some of the ones who've shown me things in the past who I can kind of staff that with. So it's a cool experience. Mm. Uh, Kathleen Brennan came on my show as a friend of mine who, who was a mental health podcaster and also a trauma therapist. And we talked about it just recently. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you, you get into what what eye movement uh, desensitization and, uh, 
and reprocessing, excuse me, what eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is, is what EMDR stands for. And it's really interesting because people, if they know anything about it, they know it has to do with eye movement, right? I mean, you may have heard people talk about this, like you, you follow the therapist's hand or you follow a little light that goes back and forth, or I have a little, uh, it's a little kind of like a wand, almost like a composer, uh, not composer. What's the word? Oh, conductor. conductor. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like that. That'll move back and forth. People can look at, um, but the the interesting thing is it's not so much about the eye movement as it is about what they call bilateral stimulation. The theory being that, you know, we have these two uh, different sections of our brain. We've got a, you know, right and left brain going on there. And when we are traumatized and when we go through something, it gets to kind of a fixed point in our brain. It, it, we have a thought pattern of how we usually think about that thing. And so trying to get some stimulation on either side of the body, most commonly done by moving our eyes back and forth with a moving stimuli. But you can also do it physically. They make little vibrating paddles you can hold that will put a little vibration in each of your hands the same way that like you go back and forth. You can also just take your hands on your knees and kind of just do a pat, pat, pat. Some people also will even stand up and like lean on one foot and the other. So the whole idea is this, that you're getting some kind of stimulation on both sides of your body and it's sending feedback, that, that physiological feedback going to your brain. At the same time, while you're doing that, you're focusing on a certain emotional response or a memory or something that is, uh, you know, something that is tied to trauma, a trigger or whatever it is, you know, that kind of a thing. and. I should say, you know, figuring out what that thing is that you're focused on is actually probably where you spend a lot of the time. The actual bilateral stimulation is in short bursts that don't take a ton of time. But, you know, you're planning, what am I thinking of and why am I thinking of it and what am I trying to say? What have I internalized? And I'm either trying to work through a traumatic feeling or I'm trying to what we call install a more positive feeling. Um, but there's a purpose to it. Now, the, the, the whole thing, uh, the interesting thing is, once again, the theory, right, is that it goes uh, and processes things differently in the brain. And so therefore we make little epiphanies or breakthroughs or really just at some deep level, that physiological level that we're actually shifting the way we think about it. And that that goes outside the session and actually, you know, that kind of like leads into our life in a healthy way. Right. Mm. Um, and so once again, theory, right. We can't actually go, let's go in the brain and see if that's why it's working. But it, it, it does however, work. What we find is for a vast majority of people, they have some a really positive experience going through that. So yeah, so in EDMDR therapy, it is designed for trauma. Um, it was kind of, you know, come up with mostly for very severe traumas. Um, you know, but if it's done by uh, someone who knows what they're doing, obviously, as someone who is skilled with it, it is something that could be helpful for really for, I mean, I don't know, I look at it and say there's no once again, I'm, I'm against gatekeeping, right? So if it's like, you're not traumatized enough. First of all, the, the research we have about trauma shows that trauma has two main elements, right? It's there's perception of how, of what we see and what we experience, right? And that's mm -hmm. very subjective. And then the other is repetition. Mm -hmm. um, we think about it. We have flashbacks to it. We have the emotions triggered all the time. And so by trying to disrupt that repetition with something like this, um, then you know that helps. So, so I'm I'm really not a fan of judging anyone's trauma, and I don't think most trauma therapists are mm -hmm. <laughs> gonna do that. So, no, yeah, no, it is something that can be definitely very helpful. The other thing yeah. that's cool about it is it's also a nice alternative to uh, some of the traditional trauma therapies, which some people still like and enjoy or 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 get the results from. It's fine, but the cognitive behavioral approach used to always be. Everybody, it was almost like an educational course. Everybody goes through this. Everybody does this. And the big thing that keep, actually kept people out of treatment was the expectation was you had to almost like, at some point you're going to you'd self-soothe while writing, almost like writing an essay assignment about your trauma. Mm. You're going to write down the incident of abuse, the, the accident, the combat trauma you suffered, whatever it is. You're going to tell, you're going to write it down maybe multiple times and you're going to tell that story not just in therapy, but you're going to find a trusted person and tell that to. And uh, all that stuff is very kind of a barrier for some people mm. and didn't work for everybody. Not everybody has that, that, that doesn't work for everyone. 
And so with EMDR, I mean, theoretically, you don't even really have to tell your therapist if you really don't want to, <laughs> I guess. Um, obviously, you know, it's better if you're working with your therapist that way, but you don't have to sit and obsess on telling the story again and again. Mm. And so that also helps a lot of people, I think, yeah. to, to do that. With your guest, Kathleen Dwight, um, I think she had mentioned uh, something about like walking, like when you're upset and you just kind of take a walk, um, that's like bilateral stimulation, almost like, yes, which I thought yeah. was so, I'm like, oh gosh, like our bodies are like kind of know that that mm -hmm. is something we have to do. Cause I know like I'll, like if I'm upset, I'll, like, I just need to take a walk and, <laughs> but I'm really kind of doing that almost. Yes. No, it is interesting when you find things. I feel like, you know, if you find something healthy, we could probably assume that it's already, you know, something that uh, is happening in, in one way or another a lot of times uh, that, that when it does, yeah, there's not an accident. It's not an accident that people find a lot of stress relief from going for a walk. That's yeah, yeah, that's really point. super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I to be vulnerable, like I, um, I mean, I started EMDR. Um, so I thought, you know, it just, uh, I thought it was interesting. And like, I've been really feeling like it's helpful for me. So I, I want to learn more about it. And, you know, um, I'm all about with this podcast, promoting resources for moms. And like, so maybe, you know, it may, may or may not be something that is uh, something for you. You know, you can always talk to your doctor, your healthcare provider. And, but, but, you know, I just want people to know that there's resources out there. And I, yes. I think that's so important for us, um, you know, just to kind of come together and, you know, be that village and, and, and let people know what's yeah. out there. And if you're someone who likes sort of that traditional talk therapy kind of like talk, you know, if you feel like that hasn't really done it for your trauma, I think unfortunately people people think of therapy, they don't necessarily think of there being different types, right? Mm. It's not, you know, it's like if I uh, go to the store and I'll, you know, I'll pick up some aspirin or something or some ibuprofen to reduce the swelling. It's like therapy is different. It, it, you know, it's more like if you're buying, I don't know, Something with more variety. Milk. There we go. If I'm buying milk, am I buying chocolate milk? Am I buying 2%? Am I buying skim? Mm. I'm not really loving that metaphor. I'm going to back off of that. And uh, But <laughs> it's basically like there's different things you can do, different approaches uh, from different therapists, but also different different modes of treatment can sometimes be more helpful. Yeah. So don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, now, Dwight, I wanted to ask you, because I noticed there's a picture on your website um, for um, Innovate Mental Health Solutions. You have this beautiful picture of a sandbar, and I wanted to ask you about uh, your thoughts on, on why you uh, decided that picture to post for your website. Yeah, you know, it, it, this is interesting, and I don't know how everyone is on this kind of thing, but for those who have, have designed websites... I, I find that the way that I approached that at first when I was like, oh, I guess I need a website. Um, you know, first of all, I went to one of those services, uh, uh, not to Buzz Market, it's Squarespace, right? Yeah. We should mention that because we're podcasters. <laughs> they they don't sponsor my show, though. So uh, you, take, you can bleep that out if you want, if you don't want to Buzz Market Squarespace. But um, So the point, though, is that it was like very drag and drop oriented for someone who's not a programmer, you know, doesn't have that experience. Mm. Uh, and so what I found was I was like, oh, I need pictures. <laughs> I don't know what pictures to use. Yeah. And I'm a bit of a hobbyist. I'd like to take pictures. Let me put it that way. And sometimes I'm successful enough to take ones that look kind of good. So so that picture is actually one that I took uh, in at Yellowstone with my uh, family. And we we went visited. It was a really cool trip. And by cool, I mean, it was fun, but it was also super cold. Mm. We, if you're if you live in the West at all, um, where I live uh, now, I live in Utah. And so it was a couple hour drive to get up to to Yellowstone. And so it was like October. So we're taking a chance that it, there wasn't already. Sometimes there's a ton of snow in that area. But as it turned out, it was beautiful, freezing with no people. And that was oh. really nice because that's not the experience you usually have in a national park. Yeah. Um, and so we found this wasn't one of the things that they have highlighted anywhere. We just kind of pulled over uh, this one area and it had this little sandbar going across this lake. And so we got out there and kids were just running and having a good time. And it was actually my favorite part of Yellowstone was this little no name sandbar, you know, it wasn't wasn't even named after any kind of, you know, 18th century, uh, uh, you know, bureaucrat. But <laughs> so. <laughs> So anyway, I, I put that on there because it also, the funny thing was, I'll be honest, I didn't pick it for this reason. 
But after I got it up there, and one of the reasons I haven't changed it, because I've changed and used sometimes more professional types of things for some of the sections of the website, um, is that I kind of noticed you've got the water on both sides and one side a little more ripply than the other, if I'm saying this right. And just, I was thinking about this kind of like change and that the water's a little stirred up and the, so it, it, since then, and as I've, I've, as I've increased more and more of my specialization to working with trauma, I'm like, you know, there's this going on under the surface that you're still this kind of beautiful person. And these parts of us are, are wonderful parts of us. Um, but yet there's this kind of, you know, a little bit of a rumble maybe going on there. Maybe the water's a little disturbed and kind of investigating that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so. You know, so that's one of the reasons I've kept it. Yeah, um, I love it. I mean, I that was like the first thing that stood out to me when I looked at your website. And I, I, I love sandbars. I don't know why. I, I, I also like find them very fascinating. I saw one um, yeah. at Bar Harbor, so the town by Acadia in Maine. Um, it's called, uh -huh. uh, well, my kayaking guide told me, um, I guess I have to confirm this, but he was saying that Bar Harbor was be because there's a bar in the harbor, so the sandbar. So that's kind of where it oh. comes from. It had a different name, apparently. Um, well, that centuries makes before, okay. but yeah, oh, right. yeah. And um, also, when I lived in Connecticut, there was um, what's called Silver Sands. Um, there was a sandbar there, but I, I think it's so interesting, like with the tides and life, and like how um, you know. I just want us as moms, as dads, as humans to come together and help support each other to help with that bridge and that support. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we don't know the bridge is there or that sandbar is there. It may be like below under the tide and, um, and, and everyone has high tides and low tides, but just kind of remembering that there it is there and we may not be able to see it through all the fog of our mental, you know, whatever we're going through, but just to kind of know that you know it's still present um so i just um yeah i think they're just so beautiful that's, that's really fascinating i mean that's deeper than i've really thought about it before i really appreciate you bringing it up i hadn't even thought about that picture in a long time yeah um so it's nice to hear because yeah once again it's one i just kind of took and and i've gotten to where when i make things now podcast covers or you know, I make a new section of my website. I'll go on to one of the, I have one of those services where they have like lots of different stock photos and things and, mm. that you can use, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, I'll be like, oh, I better get something that looks all profesh, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so it's nice to hear though, that that's, uh, that that's still, that that comes across as meaningful. Yeah. It makes me not, not want to change it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, Dwight, I wanted to give you a chance to um, you know, tell our listeners about where we can find you. I mean, I think what you're doing is so great and I want to hear more about um, your platform as well as I know you had asked me when I was a guest on your episode about uh, charity that you, um, want to promote um, for people to be aware of. So I want to give you the opportunity to talk about those things. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Um, well, I'll hit up uh, the, the kind of the charity thing first. I, it kind of, it kind of varies uh, by the day for me or by the, the, whatever at this time of years, this is, I don't know when this is coming out, but this is around the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, that we're recording it uh, kind of a lot of times where people celebrate some, you know, kind of winter holidays, if you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah, or if you don't at all, whatever, but it's still a time where people seem to observe that. Um, I, so, so, but during this time of year, I always think about a, a couple of things. I'm a big uh, proponent of things like local food banks. When they, when they look at what actually seems to help people out of poverty, uh, availability of food, is like, I think it's number two, actually. It's like money is actually the first one, which sounds kind of silly to say, but uh, don't, you know, donations that involve bringing money to those that can actually make the decisions for themselves actually helps the most, but, but food delivery. And around this time of year, I always think of an experience I had, you know, I've, I've, I love taking stuff like to the local food bank. And I used to have a program I worked in where we would go volunteer at a, it was essentially just a, a food, you know, soup kitchen, old school kind of thing. People would come through and, and get a meal. And one of the things the guy said there is that uh, he said they almost have to turn people away sometimes around Thanksgiving and Christmas, like right around those, the mm. weekend or whatever. And Christmas day, people want to come in and show their kids. And, and he's like, we're, we're, we'd love to have them. And he, but then he told me, he's like, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 
that's non-holiday time is when I really need people. Mm. That's when I can barely get enough people to staff the thing. And so I always like to point that out and say, this is a great time of year. There's lots of programs to donate toys and food and things to those in need. But then also, uh, you know, think about calling your local shelter other times of the year too and saying, you know, hey, when do you do this and can we come over and guarantee if you if you just come and volunteer at one of those places on a random Friday or Saturday uh, when people have other things going on, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, yeah, that's just something to keep in mind. But I, I love those kind of local grassroots kind of things are very big for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and then as far as where you find me, like I say, uh, the Broken Brain is is a, is a podcast you're going to see, uh, you know, you'll see on all these different podcast platforms and things. It's probably one of the best entry levels. You can go to my website also, which is dwighthurst.com. That is increasingly uh, becoming more and more of an umbrella for lots of different things. It used to be like that was for my practice. Had one little link for the podcast. Now that the podcast is kind of, it's kind of growing as far as the the importance it plays in my own practice and my own career. And so uh, that's becoming more and more there. So my goal over this next little while is I'm trying to get the website to be a little bit more all purpose in that way to have, uh, so that you can go there to find things that I'm writing. You can find links to the videos and things as there. So that's kind of your, your, your going to be the umbrella to go through dwighthurst.com to get to other stuff. I do have broken brain channels uh, or, or I have an Instagram for it, which is uh, the tag is at Brainiacs Ahoy. <laughs> so I thought that was fun. And then, uh, you know, where I post uh, some videos and things there, kind of setting up a TikTok. It's probably going to have the same name there, too, just to try that out. So because at least I can I'm already doing the videos. So so mm-hmm. that's a that's kind of a fun little thing that's going on. I've been doing a series of uh, uh teaching people, uh, kind of trying to instruct how, how diagnosis works. Um, but I'm doing it by diagnosing Batman villains. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so anyway, just some trying to have some fun and, and also help people to understand those things too. Yeah, absolutely. I know that well, I remember watching the Simpsons and all back in the day. And, um, is there any, like, what's your favorite characters or an interesting thing you would do with like diagnosing them or anyone that stands out to you? Yeah, I um, you know, Disco Stew is really fun because oh, yeah. he's so on brand, but he's kind of one dimensional. <laughs> I, I actually uh, heard someone say this once that, so it's, this is kind of a three character answer. Uh, is that if you look at it, there's a difference between these three characters. We look at Homer as kind of this big doofy idiot, which he is, of course. That's the joke, right? That's the that's the whole thing. <clears throat> However, um, if you look at him and let's compare him to like Ned Flanders. And Mo Sislak, the bartender, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And and so if you look at that, especially if you look at this in the terms of uh, uh, just different moral reasoning philosophy, this is where this was presented to me. And I, and so I'm I'm stealing it from a college class that I took in philosophy. Mm. But is that you've got uh, Ned Flanders, who is just the slavishly perfect, doing everything right guy all the time. That's his whole identity. And then you've got the Mo, who is basically a just you know, I don't know if you go as far as say hedonistic or just basically be, he, he just reacts to his instincts, his baser instincts all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then actually, if you look at it and you watch some of the episodes, you can see Homer existing in this space between to where he's kind of like making mistakes and figuring things out and doing weird stuff here and there. Um, and mostly I'm going to say all because I haven't, I haven't actually watched it for a few years, but mm-hmm. uh, but mostly it follows the pattern where he's like trying to be a dad. He's trying to be do what you're, you know, kind of yeah. just yeah. trying to hang in there. So yeah. uh, so he's actually, in a way, the ideal moral development. <laughs> so I don't know. So I got to go with Homer on that one. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Is that show still going on after all these years? Oh, it's still on. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Too long, probably. Too long, probably. It's been, Mr. it's been long enough that they are now having to look at changing longstanding characters because yeah. it's like 20 years. It's long enough. Comedy ages like milk, right? And so you look at it and it's like it's been long enough that now they're debating about changing some things that are recurrent in the show because they're no longer... they're they're way out of whack with current sensibilities, mm. right? Mm. Take the gag where he chokes Bart. Well, that's not so funny as it maybe was. Yeah. And maybe it was yeah. never funny, you know, but yeah. um, it definitely is viewed differently now and they have to actually address the, 
it's a sign that they've been on a long time. Sure. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how old, uh, uh, Mr. Burns is at this point. Yeah, I know. Wasn't he like already, a, yeah, 150 years old or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you so much, Dwight. I mean, like, I, I feel like I can talk with you all day about all this stuff. This is so fascinating. Yeah. I've just so enjoyed there's a lot, uh, as I said before, the thing I like best about podcasting is all the cool people I get to meet. And, you know, this is, this would be a good example of that right now yeah. is, is getting to meet you has been one of the, the cool experiences for me. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. That means a lot. And you as well. I mean, I, um, I love being able to do those things as well and talk with such fascinating people and share all of your thoughts and everything that you're doing, um, with others. I think that's, that's awesome. It's truly my pleasure. Well, thank you. Well, Dwight, um, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with before we uh, wrap up here? I, you know, I'd encourage, obviously they're already listening to your show, but I, I, if anybody's just happened to cross this, uh, I've been listening, uh, as well since we met each other, uh, through whatever platform we, we signed or was started messaging and looking at each other's work. So I, I don't know. I would just say that anybody out there, one of the ways you can help a podcaster, as I know, is to share yeah. and tell people about it. Um, so I would just say share Valerie's work with people. If you're someone who's listening and you're getting something out of this, that means, you know, people who would, and chances are you probably know other people who have kids. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would just encourage people to promote, to promote this. Cause I think a lot of your messages are very powerful and, and making a big difference. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Sharing is so helpful and sharing what, um, you resonate with and, um, helping others is the way we spread, spread our word out. So thank you so much, Dwight. Um, and I will include all of the information that you have on your platform and our show notes. So our listeners can take a look at that and share as well. Thank you. I hope everyone has a wonderful day out there. Thank you so much, Valerie. Absolutely. Thank you.